Lord, apart from uh, continued exposition of a uh, book of the Bible, God, this is a passage I confess I would never, I would never come to to preach. This has been a, a struggle God, all, all week long, God, even to think of how to, how to present it and how to apply it. God, those, these things that are so remote from us, God, thank you that in the, the new covenant these things are gone that we no longer have human priests and high priests who need to be about doing their duties, but we have Jesus, our great high priest, who offered his blood and died for us. And so, Lord, we pray, though, that you would be with us in these days. Certainly you have, have things for us to learn, and I pray that we would be open to learn those things. Father, that our, our hearts would be tender to you, Father, that you would teach us to be doers of the word and not mirrors only. God, this is not a mere academic exercise, O oh Lord. This is um, this is a, a time in which your spirit is with us corporately and would pray that your spirit would come. Teach us, illumine our hearts. God, give us truth from your word that we would submit to it and obey it. Oh, Father, help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was uh, reading a book. Uh, this was a secular book. It wasn't necessarily a Christian book. And it was a book about um, leadership and um, community and things like that. I, I, just, I, I picked it up and started reading it a little bit. And I got a couple chapters in. And um, this book has some, some exercises at the end of uh, each chapter. And uh, one of the exercises at the end of, of this chapter said this, is write down three words that describe what you have loved about your favorite leader that you have followed or sat under. So I, I want, I want to like turn that exercise that I did into an exercise that we, we begin right now. So just I want you to think about some leader, and um, you know maybe this is... Um, this is a, a, a pastor or a, a coach or a parent or a, a teacher. And, and I want you to think about just kind of what three words that might, might describe this, this leader. Because the, the exercise said this, is to think of a leader that you really impacted you. And then, and then those three words that were impactful. And then you think about them yourself. And are, are you following after those ways? Can those things be said of you? Because we're all leaders. I mean, every single one of us. If any of you have children, you are leaders, parents of your children. Children, someday, Lord willing, you will be future leaders of your children. If you're a supervisor at work, you are a leader of your workers. If you're a salesman, you lead those you're trying to sell your product to as you try to persuade those. If you are organizing any event, be it big or small, you have led people before and you will no doubt do that again. If you ever have had people at your house and over your house for dinner and you've talked to them about what to bring, you have led things. If you've ever influenced another person, you're a leader. So children, if you've ever said, oh no, no, let's play this game. Let's not play that game. Let's play this game. You are a leader and I know some of you children are, are strong leaders. I especially am thinking about Wyatt. Is Wyatt here today? He is a strong, strong leader. He knows his way and he will encourage. So, so think about those three words. I'm going to give you just a little bit. I really want you to write them down. Three words that come to mind. And then I'm going to ask you for those words. We're just going to share some of them.
I find the exercise challenging. All right, let, let's share. Maybe some word. Maybe someone will share one word. Okay, you don't have to share all three words, but maybe just share one of them. Anyone? Just shout them out. Humble. Humble. Knowledgeable. Knowledgeable. Wait, smart. Who? What? Motivational. Yes. Compassionate. Firm. What? Awesome. I didn't think about that word, but you're probably thinking about me, huh? <laughs> Other. Oh, we got one here? A listener. Loyal. Fun. What? Decisive. Integrity. Dedicated. Encourager. Immovable. Relaxed. Okay. Those are good words. Think about, those are sort of, sort of words I thought would, would be there. Think about what words weren't mentioned. I've got in my notes about 80 of them. I, I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to kind of let the Lord lead us. I, I scan through. Discouraging. Disorganized. Gloomy. Merciless, nasty, negative, unaware, timid, arrogant, callous, vague, uncertain, proud, rash. I mean, these are not the words we think of when we think of leaders that we have respected. It's interesting that the characteristics we uphold are really virtues, are they not? The things that we would like to be like. We will follow those who are like what we want to be like. And that's the reality of how life works. The most effective leaders have wholesome qualities about themselves. A a truthfulness, integrity, morality. And in general, people won't follow those who have characteristics of being corrupt and selfish and merciless. Uh, Unless, of course, you're part of a gang or you're under some tyrannical rule. Or that person doesn't have much of a following. But those who have greater followings tend to be those who are, are wholesome in their leadership. And that's what, the, that's what the world says. This is a secular book that I read that recommended that. And I just thought as we, we do that. Because in general, people are looking for role models. Leaders are role models. They, they, they live in a way that we want to emulate them and to live like them. That We want to look up to them and... And, and, and we look to them because we know that they will help inspire us. They will motivate us. And they will help us to lead them, to follow them. And I just say what's true in the secular world is true of the people of God. Uh, when you think about the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3 lays out qualifications of those who are to be overseers. Sober-minded is a word Paul used. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Not a drunkard or violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, nor a lover of money. And a, a deacon likewise must be dignified, 
not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy. And, and the reason for this is because because we're, we're in the New Testament, right? We live after the cross of Christ. And we profess a gospel that, that says that by the Spirit of God, He changes people. And so likewise, a, a leader of that message, of that movement, needs to be one whose change has been evident in their life. That's what we believe. It's what the Bible says. It's what God wants. And when such is not the case of a leader, such as every year, many fall, many pastors fall to immorality, to greed or other things. And when that's not the case of a leader of God's church, it brings shame upon themselves, but broader brings shame upon the bride of Christ. Whenever a, a leader is brought down, it brings shame upon him, it brings shame upon the whole organization that he leads. Uh, I've told you this before, but my wife recently has met a, a worship leader of another church in town. And uh, she is not the most encouraging or uplifting individual. She's often negative and frequently complains, and curse words flow free, freely and easily from her mouth. So I want you to think about what that says about her, what that says about the church which she leads music. I would bet that if you didn't know those things about this person, you know, it, it, closed eyes, loud, waving hands is what my guess would be. But is God smiling upon such a, an individual? And think about the people, the congregation. It, is it okay to be like that? Because people, quite frankly, will be like their leaders. As Jesus said, right? A disciple, he's fully trained to be like his master. And so likewise, that people, when you... When you look to be led, who's following you? That's the kind of people that you will be like. People have also said that we will become like the God we worship. If we worship a, a great and powerful God, not that we will become great and powerful, but we will become holy and, and like Him in some ways. But if we worship idols, we'll become like idols. As I think it's Psalm 115 says, that those who make idols, those who make them, will become like them everyone who trusts in them. See, God is concerned about the behavior of His leaders. God is concerned about the behavior of His people. As the leaders are, people will follow. And that's why it's important for the leaders of God's people to be holy. Well, if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. We're nearing the end. I'm looking forward to being done with Leviticus. It was wonderful to be in the New Testament last week as we were in John chapter 20. Uh, but we still have a couple weeks to go. Uh, I'm guessing after this week, four or five. So we're, we're still getting there, and I'm trying hard to help, help us learn this and have it applicable to us. But these two chapters, chapters 21 and 22, deal with leadership. In this case, priests who come before God on behalf of the people of God. And, and we're going to see in these chapters God calling the, the priests to holiness. It ought not to surprise us, right? Because the, the theme of Leviticus is you shall be holy. That's for all the congregation of Israel. You shall be holy. And what is true of the people ought especially to be true of their leaders. Ought especially, especially be true of the high priest. The one who stands above all the other priests. The priests were to be holy in, in everything. And they were to be held to a higher standard. Leaders are held to be to a higher standard. Um, because they're the ones who are offering up the holy things to the Lord. 
See, it's one thing for the people of God to be sinful and dispassionate towards God and, and bring in their sacrifices. Isn't that the point of bringing their sacrifices? Is that, that they're sinful and they need a, a sacrifice? That they need atonement for their sins? But see, it's another thing for the one offering the sacrifice to be sinful or blemished or unclean in, in any way because if you're seeking purity before the Lord, you need a pure priest in order to obtain that purity. If you come to a sinful priest to offer your sacrifice on your behalf, that doesn't do very well. It's like having a a wicked politician represent you. As much as you try, he's the one representing you or she's the one representing you. And that's who the priest is. And that's why we need a pure priest to present the offering. And that's the point of Leviticus 21 and 22. Priests must be holy. And I think the application for us is this. It's just the priest was holy, so also we ought to be holy as well. Um, First Peter calls us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. All of us in the New Testament, we are priests of God. Revelation 1 says that we will be priests of God when everyone's standing. And the idea of that is that we can have direct communion with God. We don't need this priest because through Jesus Christ, He is our, our mediator. I've been telling my message this morning, holy leadership. Now, before we look at that, I want to again remind you of where we are in the book of Leviticus. First 15 chapters talk about coming to God. We're talking about sacrifices, how they come to God, how the priest needs to be ordained in order to offer up that sacrifice, and how you must be clean in order to offer up that sacrifice. And the pinnacle comes in chapter 16 of the the Day of Atonement when the priest of priests enters the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice of sacrifices for that one day in a year that cleanses us and makes us right and holy before the Lord. The second half of the book describes living for God. And we've seen that as the holiness code. It talks a lot about our sexuality. talks about our worship. talks about dealing with our neighbors, celebrations, our debts. In our text this morning, we're going to see how the the priests are conduct themselves, that are conduct themselves in a holy way. Manner. In fact, their, their standard of holiness is higher than people. We'll see that. Leaders must be holy in conduct. Verses 1 through 15. Let me read. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, was near to him because she has had no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. And he shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. And they shall not make bald patches on their heads nor shave off the edges of their beards nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. And you shall sanctify him, for he offers the blood of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. The priest who is chief among his brother, that is the high priest, and you can see the, the standard of holiness just takes up a notch, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear garments, Leviticus 8 and 9, 
He shall not let his hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go to any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he proclaim, profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute, these he shall not marry. But he shall take his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. These verses deal with priests. How they deal with the dead, how they cut their hair, how they marry, and even on the behavior of their children. And regarding the dead in those days, right? dead bodies make you unclean, unfit for worship. Um, Numbers 19.11, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. Thus, if anyone came in contact with a dead person, they would be unclean and could not, as a priest, offer up the sacrifices. And so when it came to the conduct of the priest, they weren't to go near the dead. They weren't to be morticians, though morticians were needed in Israel, especially at this time when they're in the wilderness and they're dying off a generation in 40 years. Um, but, the, but the reason here is simple. The leaders of God's people need to be ritually clean and they can't go and touch a dead person. Unless it's a close family member, then there's sympathy and there's grace in God's law and they, they can do that. The high priest, on the other hand, can't even touch any dead, even his mother or his father. Because the high priest, the one who's been anointed, cannot even leave the sanctuary. And I think that's leave the sanctuary to go and bury the dead, is I think in context what that means. Because he needs to continue to, to work his task. So important is his task that he can't leave even if his father or mother dies. Now, regarding the cutting of the, the hair and the, the skin, Israel had been previously told in chapter 19... You shall not round off your hair on your temples, nor mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make cuts on your body for the dead or, or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. And that's the standard for the people, so also it ought to be the standard for the priests. I mean, think about it. If God said to the people, right, don't cut your beard, don't have a tattoo, and, and people see someone cutting his beard and having tattoos of the high priest, that doesn't make sense. It needs to, have a, 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 it needs to be obeying what, what God says. In other words, right, pastors, spiritual leaders need to practice what they preach. Parents, you need to practice what you teach. It's not enough to say, well, children, do as I say, not as I do. That, that, that won't work. Your kids will see right through that and will follow in your ways, not in your words. And you should show the meaning of your words by the way that you act. And likewise, the priests, if God said the people to do it, the priests must do it. They can't transgress these things. Leadership must be holy. And regarding marriage, their marriage was to be a picture of purity. They couldn't marry those who were deviant in their sexual behavior. They couldn't even marry one who had been divorced. In the case of a high priest, even a widow, through no fault of her own, it's not sufficient for the high priest to marry. Seeking just, just a picture of total purity, just total righteousness here. Verse 9 even speaks about a, uh, a conduct of a priest's children. Should a, a, a daughter go astray, she profanes her father. 
Now, there are several verses in this section in which uh, really explain the core of why this is. It's verses 6 and 8. I suggest you put maybe a box around these. These just describe why the priest needs to be this way. Verse 6, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For, here's the reason, verse 6, They offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. Or verse 8, You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And those are the ones who who come into God's presence and bring the gifts. They must be holy. And right here is where you see the difference between pastor and priest. The priest is the one who actually brings people to God. The pastor is the one who points people to God. And there's there's a difference in that. In, In bringing to God, bringing people to God, there is the offering that they, they have. They are, they, are, they are, if they will, bringing people in on, God's, on their shoulders, whereas a pastor would say, no, you go to God for yourself. Go through Jesus Christ. Now, it's not to say the pastor of a church isn't to be holy, but it's to understand how necessary holy leadership was in the days of the Old Covenant. I mean, today, people can become Christians through a non-Christian preaching the Gospel. Because of the gospel that saves. But back then, if people are going to have access to God, they needed to have a genuine God-fearing man in order to bring them to God because the priests were needed. And so the priests of old brought their sacrifices to the Lord, their food offerings, and it was imperative that they be holy. In fact, understanding the history between priest and pastor then maybe helps explain the Roman Catholic Church. So why they have priests and not pastors is because they are bringing people into God's presence. They've missed the fact that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. But that's why there are some stringent um, things for, a, for a, a, a Roman Catholic priest, right? They must remain celibate. The idea there is just to remain pure. Though most of you know that's a joke. The celibacy actually leads to much impurity truth were be told but there's the idea and 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 um, the priests are different that's why your catholic priests wear your robes that's why the only robe i wear is my bathrobe if i'm woken up in the the middle of a night and only my kids and my wife will ever see me in that robe it's never going to make the weekly word just just so you know or maybe or maybe you, you caught me in a, in a robe one time. You donned me with a robe and with some hair, I think, like that. Maybe that will make it sometime. I'm not sure. But I'll never wear a robe. That's why I prefer to be called Steve, not Pastor Steve. As if I'm, I'm elevated. Now, if you call me Pastor Steve, totally fine. Okay? But if you look into what to call me, just call me Steve. You know, we had the election um, on Tuesday, and we, ha- we hosted that election, and the election officials were there, and they said, uh, what should we call you? Should we call you Pastor Steve or what? And I said, well, Steve, it's good enough, it's good enough for my parents. It's good enough for you all. So that's, I, I'm just trying to be one of the people being a fellow beggar telling you where bread is. I'm not going to throw a stink. If you call me Pastor Steve, that's okay. But listen, the reason I'm a pastor is because I already have a priest. You have a priest. It's Jesus Christ. He is our perfect high priest. He was the pure one. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, here it is, to bring us to God. That's what a priest was. So go to Him. I'm pointing the way to Him. I'm not bringing you to God. I'm pointing the way to God. Trust in His sacrifice. Trust in His purity, not mine. Our prayer meeting, we went over this morning. 
Right? 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a trustworthy statement, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into this world to... Help me. To save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. He says, I'm the foremost of sinners, but, but go to Christ because He's the one who saves us. He's not saying, oh, you come to me because I'm the spiritual authority and I'll bring you to God. No, that, that's not New Testament religion. New Testament religion is, is a finger pointing just as John did. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You go to Jesus. <clears throat> and again, that's still not to say uh, I can live however I want because... My conduct much match the gospel. If it doesn't, then remove me. Find some other man to follow you. Place me in the pew and let me follow another. I want to follow Paul's counsel to Timothy. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I, I so want to be an example in love, faith, and purity, in speech, and in conduct. I want to be a holy leader that people will follow my actions and not my words. And I know how I fall short of that. And I thank you all for the grace that endures my sin and my failures. Well, let's move on. Leadership must be holy in conduct and in appearance. Physically. Verse 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations, who has a blemish, may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat of the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. Now, these words rub against almost everything that we know as America. We are the land of opportunity known for not discriminating. Okay, that's a buzzword today. In fact, I just looked up like non-discriminatory statement. And I'm not picking on the USDA. Okay, I know Milton's John. Is that right? He works for the USDA. Paul. Paul and his, your sister's name is Sheila. Live up in Minneapolis. He works for the USDA. He he's in charge of the price of milk. Just fascinating how much goes into the price of milk. But anyway, I'm not I'm not I'm not against him, and you know that. But here's what I pulled from the USDA. Just kind of like here's this is how far it's gotten. The U.S. Department of Agriculture prohibits discrimination against its customers, employees, and applicants for the employment on the basis of race, color, national origin, age, disability, sex, gender identity, religion, reprisal, and where applicable, political beliefs, marital status, familial or parental status, sexual orientation, or all or part of an individual's income is derived from any public assistance program or protected genetic information in employment or in any program or any activity conducted or funded by the department. Just so you know, they won't ever discriminate you for your DNA. In other words, they won't discriminate against 
everything. But that, dear friends, is impossible. Because at some point there's going to be a conflict, which rages in our nation today, a conflict when religious beliefs contradict sinful behavior. Something's got to give. You can't just be totally tolerant, except for those people who are intolerant. You can't, you can't be that way. But that's a discussion for another day, okay? We're not going to talk about it today. But I bring up the, the concept of discrimination because God discriminated from those who are able to serve Him. They cannot be blemished in any way. Not blind, not lame, not mutilated, not a hunchback or a dwarf, no itching diseases or scabs, but to name a few. Now, if that were the case, this, this dwarf thing might catch me, all right? I'm not the tallest of men, so I figure that's... that's an, and I, I do have itches from time to time, but... <clears throat> So if you see me up here like, like doing this, right, that would be bad, bad news. A priest must be without blemish. And I think the crux, the verse you want to outline in your Bible, circle, is verse 23. But he shall not go through the veil, this is one who has a blemish, or approach the altar because, here's why, he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. He's talking about the holy place. He's talking about the holy of holies. Both of these are sanctuaries. Now, it's not that God doesn't have a love for the poor and the, the lame and the, the crippled and the blind. These are the very ones that he invites to the banquet. Okay? Nor is it that with those with disabilities are not welcomed by God on account of their disabilities. I mean, throughout the law. I mean, isn't it a characteristic of the things you see in the law that, that God cares for widows and orphans? He says, I will be a father to the fatherless. He's compassionate to the stranger. He says, because you once were strangers, so you understand how that is. And certainly God's heart goes out to those who have physical blemishes. In fact, aren't these the sort of people that Jesus came to heal? The poor and the blind and the lepers. And, and isn't it the broad testimony of Christians across the, the world's history that they're the ones who start the orphanages? And in our generation, they're the ones that start the pregnancy care centers. It's not the atheists who start the pregnancy care centers. Right? It's not the government that starts those. It's Christians who starts those and funds those. Aren't Christians the ones who start hospitals in foreign lands? You just need to go there or here. We have, we have hospitals named after Catholics who've come and established hospitals or schools for the blind. Broadly speaking, it's the Christians who have care for these people. So it's not that these people are with physical difficulties are, are outside today in any way. In some regards, they have more compassion from God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who, who can't do anything. And those with physical difficulties are welcome in His church. Because, quite frankly, there's no sanctuary to defile. I, I, I know lots of people call this room here a sanctuary. And I'm okay with that, like I'm okay with Pastor Steve, okay? But this is not a sanctuary. This is not a holy place. This is an auditorium, a place where the word goes forth to be heard. There's, it's the only thing that makes it special is that we worship God on Sunday mornings in this place. And, and there's no sanctuary to defile, so all with physical disabilities are welcome in this place. But to serve as a priest is a different matter. You need to represent God. You need to be blameless in all your ways. Anything less would profane the sanctuary of God. Now, this points again to Jesus. 
Of course, Jesus, who knew no sin, committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. This is Jesus, our great high priest, who, who was made like tempted in every way we are, except without sin. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, because in him there is no sin. 1 John 3, 5. Jesus is pure and blameless. and He doesn't have any blemish of any type. He's our perfect high priest to bring us to God. So go to Jesus, not your high priest. All right, let's, let's move on. Leadership must be holy in conduct, appearance, and in ministry. It's the best way I can summarize the first 16 verses of this chapter is ministry. This is what the priests do with the things they have. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel which they dedicate to me. So they do not profane my holy name, I am the Lord. Right? If they give something to God, the priest should abstain from that. Say to them, if any one of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or is discharged may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that's unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he be made unclean, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterwards he may eat the holy things because they are his food. And he shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn of beasts, so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord." They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it, and die thereby when when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. We'll see a couple examples of priests dying because they're profaning the holy things of God. We talk about lay people and their ministry. A lay person shall not eat of the holy thing, nor foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. And here's the priest doing his business prohibiting those people. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it. In other words, if the slave is part of his household, he's one of the gang, he can eat. And anyone born in his house may eat of food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things because she's one with the layman. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, yet no lay person shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add a fifth of its value and give it to the holy thing to the priest. That's a guilt offering we saw in chapter 5. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Whew. Okay, deals a lot with a, a lot of tasks that God has given the priests to do. You get to read the first five chapters of Leviticus and you get their offerings and the sacrifices, right? The burnt offering, the grain offering, peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, right? Burning grains pacify Cindy's guilt. Burnt, grain, peace, sin, guilt. So those five offerings, God explicit directions. What's to the Lord to be burned? What's to be thrown out? What's to be taken to eat? All this, what's to be given back, what's to be added to, what's to be given back to the world, all these instructions of, of what is there. And I, I don't think it's important for us to dig into the details this morning, other than to say this, is that a, a priest needs to be faithful in his ministry. In other words, he should keep the holy things holy. He should not profane them. 
If he doesn't, it will not go well with him. Again, the key verse in this section comes in verse 3. If anyone of your offspring throughout your generation approaches the holy thing that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. See, God wanted the priest to take this very seriously. You do it wrong, and you'll be cut off. Remember Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu. They offered up strange incense, strange fire before the Lord, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. It's the promise of verse 9, lest they bear their sin for it and die whereby they profane it. Um, another example is Eli's sons. The story's told of their wickedness in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servants would come, and while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came in there. These were wicked priests. So in other words, they, they bring in the things, boiling it up, and they just say, well, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to take whatever comes out. And even when confronted, they did that. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, right? In other words, he's coming into Leviticus, he's saying, Burn the fat like you always said. Let's see, here he goes. Burn the fat first. And then take as much as you wish. He would say, Eli's sons, no, you give it to me now. And if not, I'll take it by force. Here's a priest like turning on them. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And here they were, they weren't being faithful in their ministry. They were let, defaming the holy things. And when Eli, their father, came to rebuke them, they didn't even listen to them. Now Eli was very old, and when he kept hearing all the sons of Israel were doing and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting, these were wicked men, and he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of evil dealings for all the people. No, my sons, it's not good report that I hear for the people. The Lord's spreading abroad. And if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And indeed, they died on the same day. Out there by the Philistines, Eli heard the news. He fell back. He broke his neck. They didn't fulfill their ministry, and God was not pleased. And so I think likewise of, of Christian leadership, holy leadership, those in the New Covenant. There's the same principle here. A pastor, a leader, should be faithful in his ministry. And one of the last things that the Apostle Paul told Timothy was this. He said, chapter 4, verse 5. He says, um, fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In other words, do it with your whole might. What God gives you, you do it. Be faithful in it. Holy leadership is called to do that. The priests were given sacrifices to burn and distribute accordingly. The Christian leader isn't given sacrifices and animals. What is he given, though? He's given Jesus to distribute accordingly. He's given God's word to divide accurately and to give accordingly. The Christian pastor is given prayer. The apostles, when they were burdened by the serving of tables... 
to the neglect of the preaching of the Word, said, Brothers, pick from among you seven men full of the Spirit of wisdom who will be able to appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The, the Christian pastor has people to shepherd. When Paul was saying farewell to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, he told them, pay careful attention to yourselves because you need to be holy, like the holy leadership. And to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. And the holy pastor who does these things will be a worthy leader to be followed. The pastor is holy and is, is walking his life and seeking to be faithful in these things will be a, a blessing to the church because the church flourishes when the leadership is holy. But you show me sinful leadership and I'll show you a church that is floundering. And so I just say this, also maybe that's church, but when it comes to you, whatever ministry you have, whatever ministry has been given to the Lord by you, do it with holiness. So parents, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Walk in the Lord's ways and lead them in the path that you're walking if you're a boss at work, whatever you do, do it home. If you're, if you're in the nursery, if you're teaching children's church, if you're helping a kids club, if, if you're working at VBS this summer, do it with holiness. However you serve, serve with holiness. And that's the sort of ministry that God will bless. All right, lastly, holy leadership in conduct, in appearance, in ministry, and in worship. It's the best way that I can describe this. This is sacrifices. We've been over much of this material before, but, but you'll see the importance that the sacrifices need to be perfect as well. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 17, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings they'd offer to the Lord, it is is to be accepted for you. It shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or sheep or of the goats. This sounds totally familiar from chapters 1 through 5. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be acceptable, it must be perfect. There should be no blemish in it. And by the way, these animals' blemish match exactly the people. Animals, blind, or disabled, or mutilated, or having discharge, or an itch, or scab, shall not offer to the Lord, or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised, or crushed, or torn, or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land, neither shall you offer the bread of your God any such animals gotten from the foreigners. Since there's a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they will not be acceptable for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until the morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord. Now, much of this we've covered before. I don't think there's need to really go over it. We remember the burnt offering and the, the guilt offering. It was, it was always a, a perfect lamb, male, one-year-old, whatever, lamb without defect. It's mentioned there, and so we need to offer that up. Now, it is interesting, however, that we do have data about how Israel was not doing that. Over in Malachi Chapter 1, we even see that, that very same thing about how they're, they're offering up these blind. I mean, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. O priests who despise my name. But these priests say, how have we despised your name? They were clueless of Leviticus 21 and 22. He says, by offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that Lord's table may not be despised. When you offer a blind animal in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you his favor, says the Lord of hosts? In, in other words, right, take the person test. If you take a, a blind or lame animal and say, Oh, I'm going to give it to you, right? Mayor Morrissey, here, this is my gift. Like, I didn't really need it anyway, but here, you can have it. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. You'd give a good one to your leader or your governor, if you had a chance to go before the governor or the president, you'd bring your best to be able to offer up. But the priests were offering up what was, was bad. And I just say this, you offer up an, uh, a blemished sacrifice and you are unholy. Looking for some key verses here, it's just those last three verses. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. He just says this. You you just keep my commandments. You do as I say. Priests, don't profane my name. Sanctify the Lord. He will sanctify me. And then it's interesting here. He brings up this redemption again, this redemption theme. It always brings us back to what he has done for us. And concluding today, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 12. I mean, here's a, here's a perfect parallel chapter here, verses of the New Testament to say, okay, so how do I apply this when I think about a, a priest being faithful in worship, right? Because when, when we worship, fundamentally it's coming to God. How can I be faithful in that? We don't have sacrifices. Well, we can look to priests, but you know what? We do have sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you know those verses, you know where we're, we're going. I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we may not be bringing bulls and goats and lambs. We are bringing ourselves. Now we're bringing ourselves not to an altar to be burned, to have our, our throat slit and our blood drained out. No, we're not, we're not coming there. But we are coming as giving our lives and ourselves to God entirely. This is the essence of what it means to be a believer in Jesus, is, is to give all all of you, to God. The sacrifice upon the altar had no choice. It was all or nothing. You can't just say, well, I'll just sacrifice my leg over here. I was told by somebody this week, well, I, you know, I'm, I believe in Jesus. I'm following him about 70%. And um, my thought is what? That much? Wow, that's pretty good. 
But the idea was, I'm, I'm okay there. Uh, Jesus is my Savior. I have 70%. That's pretty good. Can you imagine a lamb saying, oh, just 70% of me. I recall a, a movie. No, it's probably bad. I saw it a long time ago. It's about a flesh wound. Right? Just, just take three of my limbs. Can't do that. It's, it's everything. The sacrifice upon the altar was, was everything. It was total. And so likewise, that's what God calls us to be, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This person who told me he's following God 70%, I said, well, isn't the essence of Christianity, like we talked about last Sunday, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, professing him as Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? But God, I, I obeyed 70%. 70% doesn't work. It's got to be everything. And certainly we do lack, we do fall short, but that's where the blood of Christ atones. But Christ, when he calls us, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's like a 100% commitment. And, and so likewise here, verses 1 and 2, 100% commitment. Be this living sacrifice. And it does come to the mercies of God. Just like verse 33, he's redeemed us. It is the mercy of God. Romans talks all about the, the grace that's ours in Christ. Because of the grace you've been shown, give yourself wholly to God. That's holy leadership. And it, this message is applicable to leaders in the church. It's also applicable to every single one of us. My heart's prayer in, in recent weeks has been that we would, we would be, as uh, Leviticus says, right? You shall be holy that we would be a holy people, that when we're done with Leviticus in a month, that, that God would so transform our hearts that we should, would seek His holiness. So let's pray. Oh God, I, I pray that You would indeed make us a, a holy people, God, set apart for You in every way. May we not be conformed to the pattern of this world, God, but may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, O Lord. God, we, we confess, though, we've lacked and we fall short. God, there's not a one of us who can stand on our own merits, but I thank you that we can be thorough Bible believers and believe in the importance of, of pure worship because Christ Jesus has been all those things that we aren't. And where our, our leadership lacks... And where our lives lack holiness, God, thank you that Jesus Christ has given us of his holiness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. What a great message we have, God, is that through faith in you we're made righteous. And we can stand before you as the holiest of the holy high priest that ever walked the planet. And in that, O oh Lord, we do rejoice. I pray you to apply these things to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.